0: This is Laura Dierdo with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Anthony Martin, clinical assistant professor of family medicine at Wake Forest School of Medicine, part of Atrium Health. Dr. Martin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited
0: to chat. Now, I know we have a lot to talk about. We're going to dive a little bit into sports medicine and some of the work you're doing to care for elite athletes, as well as other athletes within the community. But before we dive into my broader questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background?
1: Absolutely. Um, So, yeah, I graduated from uh, University of Pittsburgh um, undergrad in um, 2003. I went to Temple University School of Medicine, graduated in 2008. I did my residency at Reading Hospital in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is now Tower Health. Um, And then I did a sports medicine fellowship at Carolina's Medical Center in 2011 and joined um, Atrium, which is now Advocate. I currently uh, sit at the rank of clinical assistant professor at the Wake Forest School of Medicine. Uh, I also serve as the associate program director for the Primary Care Sports Medicine Fellowship. And I'm also the point of care ultrasound director for the Department of Family Medicine. In my sports uh, roles, I am the head team physician for UNC Charlotte football, uh, although I work with all the sports as well. Um, I also um, served as ringside physician with USA Boxing Cover and Regional Events with Golden Gloves in North Carolina uh, from around 2015 to around 2019.
0: Wow, that's amazing! And it seems like you know it would take a lot to care for athletes who are competing in such a high level, um, whether it's locally or kind of in some of those international competitions.
1: It can, um, you know, you have to kind of always be available, um, you know, and communicate well, whether you're discussing with athletes um, in person or coordinating care through the athletic training team and 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 whatnot. So um availability is really important and being able to work in those athletes when those injuries happen because unfortunately we don't have a crystal ball so being adaptable it's important
0: absolutely that that's such great advice and and certainly I can imagine for someone who's trying to get into the sports medicine space and really to understand what that schedule looks like and um you know what you need in order to be successful there is truly helpful now what are some of the big trends that you're watching in healthcare as well as sports medicine in particular
1: You know, one of the biggest trends I've seen in sports medicine is just general awareness. You know, um, we used to talk about Monday morning quarterbacks uh, and that would traditionally be about coaching decisions and players' abilities, uh, you know, uh, uh, at the beginning of the week. Although there's been more of a spotlight on the sports medicine team that I've noticed, right? Some of the... um, Specific instances include Tua uh, when he was, you know, Miami and the management of his brain injury during that NFL game. And the initial diagnosis of a potential back injury was highly criticized not only by medical professionals but also by commentators in the general public. Um, And his early return to play put him at risk for further injury, given he was still suffering from concussion. Um, There was a big. You know, backlash um as a result of that, because of all the awareness. You know, I think there's also been a dramatic increase in the awareness of sudden cardiac arrest in athletes. One of the most public examples of this was Damar Hamlin with the blow that he received through the chest during a violent tackle. Um, and then Bronnie James, who collapsed as a result of his congenital heart condition. Um you know, the prompt response and recognition of life-threatening condition in these started athletes literally save lives, right? So awareness, not only amongst professional and collegiate sports medicine teams have increased, but also equally um, importantly at the high school varsity and junior varsity levels as well, just because awareness at all levels are important if we're going to prevent these events from happening and if they do happen to make sure we respond appropriately so i'd say just awareness of the sports medicine team and our role um, in some of the services we provide um, that's one of the key areas that i've noticed
0: well, that's fascinating to hear. And certainly, you know, looking at those big national instances of people guessing or second guessing, you know, what should have happened on the medical side um, for any given situation, um, you know, it definitely seems like it would be a challenge to have that kind of scrutiny on you. And obviously, maybe you're not, you know, on the NFL sideline. But um, when you think about the decisions that you're making with the athletes, um, you know, From kind of snap decisions in some cases during the game or after the game, trying to decide about, like you said, awareness of their availability and knowing that in some cases there's going to be a lot of opinions about that. Um, How much pressure does that put on you? How do you respond to that? And I can imagine, you know, definitely needing to keep the player first and foremost in your mind.
1: Uh, You just said one of the most important things right there at the end of your statement, keep the player at the foremost. At first and foremost, right? You, you may be the team physician, but your obligation is to that individual who, who you're treating in front of you. You want to keep them as healthy as possible. And you want to attend to that injury in real time and make the best decision. You know, like I said, I serve in an academic role as well. So I, I usually have fellows or residents with me on the sidelines. um, And I always tell them, you know, try to forget the cameras are there because, you know, if it's a televised game and it's a lot of pressure, it's a conference game and it it has eligibility for bowl game implications, you know, that part's not important. What's important is the person in front of you who needs your, who needs your help, who needs your care. Um, Because literally sometimes lives are on the line, right? So it's, a, it's just important to always be vigilant and um, be ready to attend to what needs to happen as well as, you know, have a good awareness of the, what's common and what's uncommon and being prepared for whatever may happen in front of you.
0: I think that's such a great point and so helpful to kind of cut through everything else that potentially arises, you know, when you're in such a high profile situation and, and being able to treat the patient and understand what they need in any given situation. When you look at sports medicine as a whole, what are you excited about for the next year and what makes you nervous?
1: Wow. Yeah, there's a there's a lot I'm excited about, right? You know, I mean, research, sports medicine is is a younger field compared to some other areas of medicine, right? So there's still a lot of publications that are uh, coming out. One of the areas that I'm really excited about is orthobiologics. Um, Orthobiologics is a, a broad area that is You know, it's receiving a lot of attention in the media, the advertising world, and professional collegiate sports. This category of medicine is using human tissues or growth factors to help facilitate recovery in injured individuals, right? This can be with elite athletes trying to return to sport after an injury, such as a partially ruptured pectoralis tendon or maybe some refractory patellar tendon issues um, and get them back on the field faster. Or it can be a chronic degenerative condition like osteoarthritis in a 50 year old who used to be an athlete, but just wants to stay in the game and um, keep up their activity levels, play with their kids, whatever the case is. Um, Some examples of this specifically, platelet-rich plasma um, is one that receives a lot of attention, but... Also, some of the um, up-and-comers are bone marrow mesenchymal aspirate concentrate, which is known as BMAC, as well as micronized fat or lipoaspirate. The latter of these two are considered stem cells. Okay, um, these tissues are harvested from potential donor sites, like drawing blood with PRP, doing a bone marrow harvest from the hip or the bone for or hip or leg bone for BMAC, and then aspirating fat from the abdomen or flank region. Um, And then you're injecting that into the target area, right, to try to activate the body's natural inflammatory cascade to either restart the healing process, promote growth or, or both of these things. Um, the the data that's already out there, the safety data is robust and and compelling. The um, early data is robust, but you know, there there's just a little bit of bias out there because a lot of the studies are done by the industry that makes the product. So that always puts an asterisk in people's mind. I'm excited for all the research that's developing in this area. Personally, I've seen a lot of success with it in my patients. I do all of the procedures that I mentioned. It's been a game changer, not just for my athletes, but my weekend warriors too, who are in their 40s and 50s, have some mild to moderate um, arthritis from prior injuries, and just want to keep that active lifestyle. You know, it, it's exciting because um, of the success I'm seeing. Now, the concerns I have in the same vein um, are also related to some of the bad actors in the space. There's people out there. Promoting that they're doing "quote unquote" stem cells when they're actually not. They're they're using amniotic fluid products or um, different uh, variations thereof, or other products that that aren't necessarily regulated by the FDA. As well as um, some some of these clinicians aren't uh, actual physicians doing the procedures and, um, and or uh, or advanced practitioners. Um, they're they're just in a different field altogether. Um, so you know, concerns for people who are charging. You know tens of thousands of dollars and creating all this marketing campaigns and and people are dipping in their 401ks and and paying all this money um where they're they might not be getting exactly what they say they are so you know I'd, i'd recommend for folks who are considering any of these procedures to do your homework and know what you're getting why and the reality of what's happening with these procedures and not um just listening to the um the snake oil salesman who might be lurking around the corner
0: that's such a great point. And certainly, you know, fascinating to see some of the different developments on the sports medicine space. Um, like you mentioned, some of the things that are actually um, science based and in fact based and have a really great um, literature behind them to show that they are forwarding the field In comparing that into something that, you know, really is more hype and marketing dollars, um, it just really seems like there is a lot of opportunity for um, improving patient care, but then to try and educate patients and understand that, you know, not everything they hear about is going to be beneficial for them and some things can actually be hurtful. From your standpoint, when you're working with athletes and trying to help them decipher what the next step in their care is going to be, um what are those conversations usually like how do you really make sure that you're partnering with them to help them achieve their goals and then you know really looking ahead to um what what is going to be most helpful for them in different types of treatments
1: yeah whenever i'm dealing with an athlete who has a specific injury i, I try to one just be you know open to all all avenues of treatment and I try to be complete, right? So there's always a lot, there's always more than one option, okay? So that's the complex portion, uh, the complex part of this is, um, you talk to five different um, physicians or providers, you might get five different approaches to the same problem. I try to incorporate my athletes' um, opinions and um, decision-making into it, you know, in in a model called shared decision-making. I give them the information about what's going on with their body. I tell them, hey, you know, based on my based on your history, my observation of the actual injury or watching a video of it or whatever, you know, um, your exam findings, as well as the imaging that we may have ordered, including MRIs, ultrasounds, lab work, whatever. Here's my understanding of what's going on right? So here's your actual diagnosis. Now, here's everything that can be done about it. Now, some of those things may be conservative. Some of those things may be middle of the road and include um, different types of injections, some of which, like I mentioned before, um, could be a standard corticosteroid injection. It could be different medications. There could be surgery required or optional, right? And there might be several different surgical approaches to the, the same problem, right? So I try to actually educate the athlete on all of the, those options, and let them let that kind of resonate with them for a minute. Oftentimes, based on their own personal values, they might have a, a one of those areas that sits better with them than others. Um, or sometimes they just say, you know, hey, doc, I trust you. I really want your opinion. What would you do in this scenario? And then I give them that opinion. But I, I try to really incorporate their their values in what we want to do um, to best treat them and get them back on the field because at the end of the day i think every athlete just wants to be able to perform um that's my goal is to help them get get back out there perform do what's best for themselves to get get them back out there quickly but you know i also try to prep them like hey we could do this and it might get you out there faster but at the same time here's what you may have to deal with long term if we continue to do You know, things like repetitive corticosteroid injections, or if we continue to ignore this ruptured ligament that you may suffer from some arthritic changes over the road, uh, down the road, or, you know, here's what's okay to play through and here's what's not okay to play through.
0: You know, I kind of
1: try to guide them in that role.
0: That's fascinating to hear. Well, before we wrap up our conversation, I know you mentioned you work with um, training physicians and, and early career physicians focused on sports medicine. So I was wondering if you could talk about what it's like to care for an elite athlete as a team physician and what advice you have for those early career physicians who want to follow the same path
1: one, it's truly a blessing to be able to work with like high level athletes, elite athletes. I take care of um, UNC Charlotte. Like I mentioned, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough that some of my colleagues who work with uh, the Panthers and the Charlotte FC have referred to me, those athletes and helping get them back on the, the field sooner, sometimes with orthobiologic or other endeavors and things like that. It's an honor and a blessing to be able to work with, you know, the folks we're watching on Saturdays and Sundays with that, you know, with, uh, not to quote Spider-Man, but I'm the dude anyway with great um, power comes great responsibility, right? So you have to, the, while it's a privilege, you have to take it seriously and you have to do your due diligence. One, I'd say um, be vigilant when you're on the sidelines to my younger colleagues who are just getting into the game or um, are interested in the future of it. Put your phones away. You can't treat what you didn't see, especially on high velocity plays like kick returns when players reach top speeds. Have a good understanding of what's the worst thing that can happen for instance there's a there was a death in a um hockey player who was a former pittsburgh penguin i, I say this because i'm from pittsburgh and a big big fan of pittsburgh sports in general unfortunately he caught a blade through the throat from uh, uh, from somebody's skate and died from the injury um, now that's a hard thing to predict or prevent but being aware of all potential catastrophic things that can happen in your sport, whether that's boxing, whether that's hockey, whether that's gymnastics, whether that's uh, football, you just kind of kind of know what's the worst thing that can happen and kind of have a game plan as far as far as what you're going to do. Now, you can have all the best intentions, all the best training and still have some unfortunate circumstances like that one. But doing things like making sure your AD works prior to every game, you know, checking that, making sure that it's out and, and accessible. So if you have any of the events like we saw with Damar Hamlin, you can respond appropriately and potentially save a life. Finally, the one of the last things I'd say is put your egos in check, because at the elite level, these folks are receiving usually five or six opinions, right? You may be one of a host of opinions that people are getting. Be honest with your athletes, gain their trust. Don't be upset if they're getting multiple opinions from other specialists, providers, anywhere else. Um, And, and don't be expected to be the team doc in the NFL or MLS or right out of the gates or, or Division One school. Just put in your time, grow your reputation and do what's best for athletes and people notice, right? So um, athletes talk, coaches talk, and and that that's a great way to just do your job and good things will happen.
0: I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. This has been really a fun and fascinating conversation and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future.
1: Thanks so much for your time. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: It's so important for leaders at the top of organizations to keep learning, stay sharp, grow their networks,